everything imaginable. The podcast for curious minds. And here is your host, Gary Cachulio. She's a tarot reader and evidential medium and healer. And if you're looking for some advice on a future event or just out of curiosity, want to get some information, check her out at tarotbyginger.com. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Ethan Indigo Smith. And he has written countless books on countless topics, everything from Taoism to numerology, sacred geometry to weed. So you name it, he's written a book on it. <laughs> Thanks for coming yes. on. Yes, I I I, I uh, am guilty of that accusation. Thank you so much for <laughs> bringing all that up. Thank you so much. I I have I have written umpteen books now. Wow, it's incredible! It's incredible, and on, in such a wide variety of topics, or or at least superficially. I think when you look at the superficially, mm-hmm. you're like, okay. There's a whole bunch of unrelated things that that this guy has written about. He's got to be brilliant, and he just knows all this stuff about all these different things. Or all these things are sort of common. They all have a common thread to them. Well, I don't uh, think that I am, you know, by far, <laughs> you know, more intelligent than anyone else. But if anything, I'm more obsessed with looking into various ideas. Mm-hmm. The common thread that they all have is what I like to think of uh, anyway, is that they all inspire um, a raising of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So each each one of the books, despite their variation, even my first one being political, even, you know, uh, uh, they are all focused on raising our awareness our perception how we perceive um and and you know bringing about um a higher consciousness in in the end of the books i've even written some satire books that have narratives that i like to think instigates um more broad thinking so what is raising consciousness is it being able to step out of ourselves and view things from a non-judgmental point of view or is it like raising vibrations so we can connect spiritually that way well it could be both of those and more mm-hmm. too right i think consciousness and maybe sometimes um uh maybe a tool but also a, a tool to raise consciousness and a way to perceive things too is sometimes the simplest idea is actually a really fundamental of importance um, and primary fundamental importance. And what is consciousness? Uh, consciousness is, to put it simply, and I think very powerfully, primarily, consciousness is the awareness of awareness. So in, a, in fact, consciousness is kind of stepping outside of ourselves think there that we are a certain height difference just a simple little thing and you can take that into any number of lessons just being aware of our own self in regards to reality and aware of our awareness 
um, of reality and ourselves. So, um, this mirror could could be abstracted many different ways from there. But in that most simple effect, <clears throat> consciousness is really being or our awareness of our awareness, and that's why often enough, you know, we've heard this trope many times. You know, human. What differentiates human beings is our awareness of our own mortality. Well, maybe so, but I think it's a, a just a, a part of that uh, awareness of our own awareness, right? Um, is it just that, that awareness of our mortality is just a small part of that broader consciousness? Um, so uh, how to raise that, I think, um, as you noted before, both those are ways to do it. A, a change of pattern uh, um, one way or another is is one of the best ways. In fact, how, how you put it, just stepping out of the box and out of ourselves for a minute, out of out of our pattern, you know, self um, is is a big one and can lead to, you know, all kinds of uh, betterment of our thought process, of course, you know. And and ascension in total, you know, this is kind of thrown around as a woo term, but really, we all would like to think we're doing some form of ascension, right? Especially, trust me, Ethan, as a juvenile, you know, I made a lot of ascension, <laughs> and right as we all have. Um, so it's a very uh, uh, tangible process, uh, uh, not tangible, but very palpable. Mm -hmm. um, so um, there's many ways to um, instigate um, new awareness of our awareness. You know, one one simple little thing, and in fact, it will remind people of many um, thought processes that thought processes or things they might have heard before. But employing uh, contrasts and and um, complements. Right? How do things contrast and complement? Um, and you know, uh, often enough, we'll just get steadfast into one, uh, you know, monothematic even arrangement of our pattern and our perception. And if we just look for, well, how does what's the complement of this idea A, and also what is a potential contrast of it? And oh, I could see how an ingredient from one or the other might work, or even the entirety of one or the other. Um, so, I, um, <clears throat> yeah, just being able being able to be uh, um, soft and flexible and to our own mindset, right, um, is a is a big consciousness expansion. And and then sometimes awareness instigates a new uh, unfoldment of of uh, um, you know direction for our consciousness so uh, I like to think some of the book ideas have that it is weird. it's weird that we are aware of our awareness that is such a strange thing you know then you I start wondering well if I'm aware of my awareness is something else aware that I'm aware of my awareness and and then then it yeah it it does get very uh, abstract, but not necessarily not the right word, but it's kind of mind-bogglingly mind reflective uh, as as we begin to ascertain 
you know, it's almost like a inner consciousness allegory of the cave, right? That's that's this this thing that's going on, you know, who's really the prisoner and who's the captor? <laughs> Is it me, myself, and I? All uh, am I all of them? Um, and and so yeah, there's all kinds of ways to uh, come out of one cavern into another cavern of consciousness, right? Where we can really release all kinds of patterns that we might employ um another lesson uh that i mentioned in my tai chi book but you know is a, is a really important tai chi lesson that doesn't necessarily have to do with tai chi practice can be applied to living and is relative to what we're talking about try not to react but respond and at first that might seem like a subtle difference but we get into patterns of reactions as simply as it might be when I offer my hand, someone goes, Oh, hi, how you doing? I'll shake your hand. Uh, that's, that's a great friendly pattern, but, but uh, other patterns that we have are just as, um, uh, you know, obvious if we take a step back and, and a response, you know, can be, um, oh, you know, instead of a negative reaction might be, uh, oh, these people leaving their trash on the beach. I, I am going to complain about that now. And a response might be, oh, someone left this trash here. I'll just pick it up as I'm walking by. Mm-hmm. Or any number of things. A reaction might be putting you into a place where you've been before that you had a bad outcome. A response might be just a millisecond longer in what could be a really rapid situation, but changes the dynamic in total. And of course, if we have the time and ability to think things through, then that idea of looking for a response rather than a reaction becomes um, powerful. And especially the, the more we really look at that word, everyone knows the word reaction, but we don't want to be an actor again. We don't want to be fake and act to the circumstances again. That's a react, right? It's in it's in the word that we're not even being real and authentic. Hmm. We do get stuck. I get stuck there all the time where I'm stuck in a habit. So I'm not responding. I'm just in a ha- habit of re- of you know doing the same thing over and over again when I'm presented a certain situation or stimuli. Yeah, I think um, to do anything in in this realm, we need just enough kick in the ass and just enough nourishment and luxury of rest and all this good stuff, right? Um, so um, it's not easy in this world to have the you know, willpower to break patterns often enough. And one way I like to look at things is as a tree. Um, as I'm building a tree, um, you know, or, you know, Buddha, Buddha has an expression. Um, once you have the fish, you don't need the trap. Mm-hmm. But this, this leads to a further thought that, well, Someone needs to eat tomorrow more than likely, if not me. So we might need the trap again. <laughs> and 
then Buddha was talking about the fish being enlightenment, not necessarily daily and nourishment, but I'm simplifying it. But but thinking about things as a tree, um, as a project, uh, um, you know, is is helpful uh, from seed to fruition. Um, uh, and if you call the great uh, <clears throat> gods and you know, godly folks, Jesus and Buddha among them, they have this tree relationship, right? Um, and, and, you know, I was thinking about, uh, uh, of course, uh, Buddha, I, I, he gains his ascension underneath the tree, which I think it was a fig tree, if I'm not mistaken. It's a variation mm -hmm. of a fig tree. Um, and, uh, there is a story of Jesus who curses the fig tree for not bearing fruit at the time he, he comes across it. There's a story of that. Um, so I wonder, you know, what that re relates to, if anything. And um, so sometimes, too, when I think about willpower um, and, and I've recently processed this actually through exploring the Tetragrammaton. Um, through my obsession with four, and it turns out that it has a relationship with another obsession of mine, uh, sacred geometry, and and the tetragrammaton is in part reflecting the four dimensions of geometry: points, lines, planes, and solids. <clears throat> and uh, I was it. The tetragrammaton is also noted for being illustrative of creation or god of mm -hmm. creation or um and geometry is as well right the the whole idea of geometry in a very simple geometric mathematical sense is um there is no line without points and it could be innumerable points and there is no plane without innumerable lines and there is no volume without potentially innumerable lines right so um it, this creation process can also be a kind of i think of it as a as a resolution process of just you know building my idea like any other idea from nothing and then a point and then there's a connection, there's a linear connection, and then I start circulating that idea, and it becomes something that's flowing into, like any invention, and anything that wasn't before has been, right, becomes a solidification. So I don't know if I'm, if that's just my crazy meditation process for me, <laughs> but <laughs> I think about forming uh, reality of my my willpower, even if it's as intangible as that, through through this point line plane solid idea, mm. and I, I find it I, I find it to be very orienting and helpful. It is fascinating, you know, with the, the tetragrammaton, you know, and you mentioned the tree because a lot of times it's also associated with the Kabbalah and the tree of life, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, which is also yeah. sometimes talked about, like we're going to talk about, like the Adam and Eve story, the tree of knowledge. 
you know. Exactly. And, and all these things are connected. I even read one point of view where he said that the, the tree of knowledge may have actually been a cannabis tree. Well, you know, so. yeah, I mean, you know, I, I in writing uh, the book I wrote about marijuana, marijuana and the prohibition of the divine feminine, mm-hmm. and, um, you can actually um, many different cultures were using cannabis as a sanctifying um, and probably, uh, uh, you know, sedative and ceremonial high. Um, from from North America uh, to Jerusalem, uh, many for many thousands of years, um, and and so yeah, the tree of life, um, in in a general sense, has many different layers of symbolism to it, and and surely one relationship can be cannabis. And if we even just look at well, tree of life, what does that mean? Well, let's let's even conceptualize what would be a tree of life in reality. Well, it would be medicinal and we could eat it and it would make us feel really good. And we would be able to make clothes from it and housing and fuel for sure. We need fuel. And so if you what would be a tree of life? Yeah, it is hemp and cannabis in the most literal sense right (laughs) hemp and cannabis supplies us with medicine fuel and resource for you name it and it makes you feel nice um and so uh in that sense uh hemp cannabis is the very literal tree of life um in in looking at uh cannabis more deeply um I think that it represents the divine feminine in in that provider sense, right? And and in fact, um, if you look, um, I mentioned that the Hebrews were into the sanctifying of the herb by burning it in altars, and not, you can't make this up. Um, but also, um, there was a there is a, a word relationship. Um, cannabisum and so cannabis and bosom cannabisum is is for the the plant um, um, and and a nurse mm-hmm. and and then if you look at the just that frequency of the term ma in marijuana which of course is a slang uh, term of mar of of cannabis, but if you look at that term marijuana, it very much reflects the feminine, of course, ma, and not just in English, but in in many different languages, of course. Um, but but what is amazing that that in itself is amazing that we can find this orientation of a primal language relationship in that mm-hmm. enunciation. Um, and and it makes sense because in one manner because it's one of the first enunciations that we can do ma and but it, um, the Chinese goddess of hemp and healing her name is ma also and so it's a it's a multicultural relationship between this um, plant that is a very much the provider 
of of you name it um um and and the divine feminine which is also the provider of you name it um so i in that book i proudly say the first uh uh you know some very derogatory um people say that uh what what is it um what is the first job and they'll say it's prostitution or however that phrase goes but but um i point to that the first job is nursing and and no no hunter would be a proficient hunter without knowing that he had someone to take care of him and so the first job is nursing that we all are nursed and we all are taken care of again a double play on words that have that same divine feminine energy and also this you know relationship to cannabis as well yeah i didn't even really like a week ago about the i was reading about the prohibition of cannabis and how it was created basically for men to elevate themselves above women and you know the the cannabis plant represents the divine female so by prohibiting that is another way of of empowering the the males yeah and and specifically at that point in time it was the ama that got empowered right they by the american medical association you know eliminated all reference to hemp being a healing product but before the ama before the turn of the century approximately when the ama was formed if you would have went to uh medical uh dictionaries or whatever have you anything dermatitis related they would have said see hemp oil you know and and hemp oil was combined with many different snake oils i would imagine also but hemp oil and hemp is a, is a long standing proven healing product despite the association with uh snake oils if you will um that that kind of got it chastised and and in that process as you mentioned really belittled all the healers that were outside of the AMA which was essentially a men's club at that point in time crazy because i had originally thought that it was because of racism that was you know demonized well i think i think you know politically we can see that um but 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 um um behind the politics and the yellow journalism of the day there was um this whole notion um that got perpetuated that you know, melanated peoples were getting wild off of it and hurting white folks that was perpetuated. And California was actually, I believe, the first state to criminalize it. Um, and it was a big part of it was yellow journalism. But behind that was all kinds of um, really oligarchical influences because of, of the potential that is the resource of and do, do you think that there's a connection between like like for example like the cannabis leaf has like seven leaves on it does that somehow also get reflected in sacred geometry and numerology 
Well, I haven't pursued that reflection necessarily, no. I find it interesting the different, you know, uh, formations of the plant, and it's and it's certainly a beautiful plant. Um, but but it, I, I think um, it is, you know, plants kind of a successful plant would lure people into fighting over it and planting it and hiding it and selling it and you know, if there's any plant that has enticed humanity. It would be cannabis. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, so talk about a successful plant. Um, but I think that the powers that be certainly prohibited it for multiple reasons. Um, you know, it, alcohol doesn't really make people contemplate. Marijuana does, you know. And and also, as I mentioned, it's really the ultimate resource. Like if we want to make an economical shift, do we want to mine a bunch of more stuff or grow it? Pretty simple. So, you know, if, if we're presented with that choice. But notice all around the world, hemp and cannabis only up until recently is virtually prohibited. And it doesn't matter if it was North Korea, China, or the United States, or anything in between. It, it's prohibited. I guess because it would put a lot of people out of business greed. I mean, in in a very practical sense, immediately, because otherwise we'd be, you know, marijuana would be as the price of tomatoes. The only reason that it is expensive is because it's a black market orientation. Right. And and so there the, the price is pumped up because of that. And then people get jail time. So people are making money that way. And again, like just, you know, paper products aren't as big as they are now. But at the turn of the century, it was forestry or hemp, you know. And before that, you know, in historically speaking, there was a time when certain elements of agricultural business, political uh, entities in the United States chose between hemp and tobacco, right? So it's it's um, it's always been right there, but I think just because of certain, you know, maybe it's the divine feminine orientation and the feel-good effects, <clears throat> it's been prohibited. Mm. So with you, like, like, does that, like, um, do you find any spiritual parts of marijuana? Like, you know, well, the, sure, there can be. There's, yeah, there can be. Um, I think uh, anything in <clears throat> moderation can be, you know, used that way, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think I think if, if people are pursuing exploring spirituality or spiritual practice, I don't think it should be hinged to that but but like i said it was used as a sacrament um historically for thousands of years um but but i don't think that um one needs to pursue you know having that as the orientation of spirituality <clears throat> what would be a good orientation well meditation mm -hmm. so you know a friend of mine started his meditation practice and he started it in front of me and um, he said his teacher told him to do it this way for this amount of time. And and he did his thing and I was observing him. Because
because one of he wanted to show me, you know, if I'm doing it right or something. And he kept on glancing at his watch, which he held in his hand. And I was like, well, you should just put the watch aside because you're not going inside. You keep looking at your watch to see if it's been X minutes yet that your teacher told you to meditate for. <laughs> so, so you're not you're not really doing it. And he, and he didn't really like me telling him that. But the the least amount of amendments and things that we can have, like get rid of the watch, get rid of the weed, um, and and just meditate. You know, um, I I think standing meditation is powerful um and and rewarding physically um um and you know you develop your chi but any meditation posture is difficult and rewarding um but i think you know just facilitating the idea that i don't need to think about if it's been x minutes i just need to just be inside for even 30 seconds quality is better than you know sitting still in, in not a quality frame for a longer period uh, so meditation is i think i think the juice right mm -hmm. it certainly uh, you to pay attention. It, yeah and and uh and also maybe breaks up our attention too on the other side of the coin mm -hmm. because a lot of times our attention is focused on our attention again and in a sense that like we're at we're applying our consciousness to very mundane orientations and even mundane orientations of what ifs and would be's that never do become. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just, just breaking sometimes our attention through, Oh my God, has it been five minutes? That hurts. That great. Great. Now you're thinking about, soreness rather than being sore at a politician or what have you which is you know i'm not necessarily bad either but um sometimes we want to break it up whatever it is mm -hmm. um, um you know uh, uh i i feel it sometimes i was talking to a friend even a young fellow uh recently he's like oh i'm just what's going on oh depression depression like you're too young to be depressed come on um but you know what those there's there's some relationships um in that word depression um repression um and and this pressureization and that's kind of what depressed is related to is depressurized mm -hmm. and you can kind of see a depressed person just by how they hold themselves right um and and sometimes over a long period of time, a pattern, what came first? How we hold ourselves physically or how we hold ourselves mentally, emotionally. Um, and and after a while, I don't even I don't even know anymore. <laughs> I'm just depressed. <laughs> um, and so um, uh, the literal uh, translation of chi, like uh, um, the the energy that we develop through Tai Chi or what is Tai Chi, but different words, whatever. But the, the practice of Tai Chi or Qigong, Qigong is the same word as Qi. So Qigong is practicing up that uh, Qi 
And the literal translation of chi is uh, compressed air. And 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 isn't compressed that it kind of has? Am I depressed or compressed? Mm. Well, I want to I want to be compressed. <laughs> I want to have that um, that not stressed, not tight, not not um, oriented in a way that's out of my um, comfort zone. I want to be com- have some compression, right? Um, and so um, compressed air, chi, is the opposite of depressed inner air, um, depressed energy. And so sometimes just changing our posture, um, just associating ourselves differently physically for a little bit. And even as I have learned, you know, and as I share the, the art of Tai Chi, which is really complicated, the brain fry of trying to move in a complicated manner is the success. Like it's not a it's not like the success of doing it eloquently. No. Did you did you fry your brain? Yeah, I don't even I can't even think right now. You, oh, you got yeah, you got it. Um and so the the confusion, if you will, of learning something that's soft but complicated, like Tai Chi can really fry the brain in a way that is really good in the long run. <laughs> mm. But that changing the uh association of compressed air rather from that depressed energy um and and you know sometimes we really like like in these sitcoms you know right you'll see how the person tricks themselves into a heart attack like a stressful situation comes up and oh oh no i'm going to go back to what i mentioned before their reaction to the situation instead of a response is to have a heart attack because it's so stressed. So over over compressed would be maybe a way to look at that. Um, but it's something that the person got tricked into. They tricked themselves into having that reaction because if they would have just said, okay, we have to respond without having a heart attack. <laughs> oh. And and you know, extrapolate that different terms, right? So uh just just in, in instead of instead of reacting finding finding a way to just change our structure hmm. change the orientation so there, there's more to the tai chi um than than just going with the flow well that you know i mean i don't know if a, a wise taoist told me this or if it was a wizard but it is excellent to, to go with the flow, but flow with the flow is a is a much much better much better way. Because sometimes going with the flow, you end up going to where you don't want to go, and maybe getting stuck in an eddy. So flowing with the flow, you actually are like, oh, I'm still going where I want to go. Um, and it's a subtle difference, but I just like the arrangement of that because um, we are flowing with the flow in, in Tai Chi. Um, and and we don't uh, know Tai Chi, we practice it, right? And and so it's this elusive, the Tao is, is elusive like that. But it can be almost like 
yeah, I'm in a powerful stream, but I'm 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 flowing with it. It's gonna take me where it's gonna take me, but I'm gonna still get to the other side where I want to go without being taken over the falls. Is there a difference between Tai Chi and yoga? <laughs> Well, I would say both work on kind of more subtle energy of the body mm -hmm. and or one could just say the nervous system, but yoga much more directly through um, the other parts of the body that we're used to, the bones and, and the muscles and ligaments and so forth, whereas Tai Chi is just going towards the nervous system more directly but because it the nervous system is so subtle one doesn't even notice it <laughs> um and tai chi is this much much more subtle way to direct uh energy into a much more subtle system <laughs> mm. so it's subtle <laughs> but but when i i think of uh when we refine our nervous system capability um, we turn what is exponentially normally, an exponential normally, into x plus four, right? So whatever your standard is on a normal day, if you refine or um, tai chi, qigong practitioners, practices by the nervous. I'm back. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Oh, no problem. Um, so yeah, a ton tonifying the system um slash, you know, clearing out the nervous system uh of rigidity um gets our gets our system just operating at whatever its potential is plus X something, you know. <clears throat> so um, both both yoga and tai chi are excellent, and I mean, as is any exercise, tai chi is just m working on that super subtle system. <clears throat> How about things like chakra meditation and things like that? Well, most of the meditation I do is super simple, mm -hmm. um, um, but. Um, I, uh, there is a chakra meditation that's simple to a meditation that I practice that I will clear certain energies up and down the system. Um, and, and though I imagine more physical orientation, it could be the same kind of perception as chakra, the energy, the energies moving up and down, um, in, in some of the chakra meditations I've seen. Mm -hmm. So, so I mean, what I'll often work on a standing meditation where I'm either focusing on an active thought pattern, or I might be counting the breaths, or trying to do none of those things and no other thing, and just just that. Um, you know, Sounds so it, it's not easy, right? Certainly, it's not easy, especially. Um, talk about patterns meditation, you can get yourself in a pattern in meditation, 
if you do the same meditation all the time. And but then a different meditation will be, oh my gosh, I had an epiphany. <laughs> um, so often just a pattern change in whatever we do is the juice. Um, so I like to mix it up. But um, uh, for instance, if I get into a pattern of just counting breaths in in the standing posture, when I go to trying to not think of anything, it's really hard not to count. <laughs> Sometimes it's uh, in the beginning, it might be really hard to count. See how many times one can count without losing count. That's mm -hmm. a whole, whole great thing. Um, and but then to going from that to not counting at all is, a, you know, a, a trick as well. You have to have a pattern to break a pattern. Sure. Right. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> That's very, very Tao of you. <laughs> and right. and you know if, if there is a uh, that reminds me of a Taoist philosophical um, expression you you can't shrink without having been big you can't gain weight without having been small right you you can't be dark without having been light um, so yeah you 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 know that yeah so it's just that dance of yin and yang yeah. And moving from one to the other, moving that perspective back and forth. And and that can be a whole meditation posturing practice too, um, where um, I might, or, or a, a qigong practice, one might tense the whole body, not to 100%, of course, mind you, but mm -hmm. make the entire body yang, right? And then make the entire body in. And that can be, um, talk about pumping up the chi flow. Uh, it That can be a whole qigong practice in of itself. Um, so the, the form is quite, uh, or the forms, the tai chi forms are super complicated and have a brain fry that's rewarding. But some of the qigong stuff, can be as simple as I just described. Like, and people would ask, "Well, how and how this, how that?" Yeah, that. Just uh, you know, exactly. Roll with it. Um, and just just expanding on that compression, um, you know, idea. And and generally, I don't go beyond a seventy percent. If I'm working on that practice specifically, I might do more. As far as how Yang I become. Uh, um, that's a that's a a rule I like to live by, and is and in fact one of these application concepts from Tai Chi that you can take into life real easy. Um, if if we're always going at a hundred percent, our productivity at the end of a month is going to be next to nothing. You know, if we're always going at seventy percent, our productivity at the end of the month is going to be more than the day we started but it's still going to be around 70 percent is the theory right um so you always have room for for expansion there's always room for 100 percent if need be mm -hmm. when you're well um so it's also i've noticed with uh, dealing with young people i talk to them as i'm talking to you now about 70 percent rarely rarely raise my voice past that if and when I do, they go, oh, 
oh, it's different. Um, and instead of if I was always talking loudly, they would they would just ignore me. <laughs> um, if if you have the ability to go at a higher percentage from seventy percent, then that's a, a, a ability to communicate as well. Hmm. That's you think that applies to everything that we do, like 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 work and all that. I think it can be. I think if we appropriate ourselves with that coordination, it can be very rewarding. Um, because like I said, we'll fry ourselves out with a hundred percent. And, and in, in to the 70%, there's also a way to uh, integrate different formations, right? Like um, during the day we want to stand, walk, sit and lie down for a balanced amount of times. Well, what are those times? Different people have different balances, right? But um, walking is is uh, uh, the best and we wanna expand our walking time um, when we can. Um, um, so uh, if, if we walk at 70%, that also means like not locking our joints, right? Even 70% at arm, kind of extension mm -hmm. I, i'm looking at that and 70 percent of my mental capacity it's right because maybe even with athletic um exertion too like what's the proper way to take off of the jump on the snowboard or the skis well at 30 percent, i'm gonna crash on the lip of the jump i'm not gonna make it off i'm gonna slap i'm not gonna even have enough force at 100%, I'm, I'm going to be so much force that it, I'm not going to have any takeoff and not be able to do balanced spring and trajectory projection to land. So maybe with 70%, even with athletic exertion, is a good window too. Certainly not exact, but, but there's a window of approximately 70% with uh, the breath. Um, we don't, in Tai Chi theory, yoga is different, um, but in Tai Chi theory, we don't take full breaths to 100% capacity because that would, over the long term, cause stress with the lung function. Um, so sometimes it's okay, but a good place to be, 70, 80%, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a good place to <laughs> You can always go more if something needs to happen more. It doesn't restrict you. It actually gives you that place to move a little bit farther all the time. Um, so it, it, I find it's a powerful lesson and orientation for, for all kinds of modalities. It's a bit like the middle one. <laughs> like, sure, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's it it is it is exactly like the middle way, and exactly like what the Taoists might call the the Wu Day, mm -hmm. or, or not the Wu Day. That's martial path. Uh, Wu Wei. The Wu Wei is is the most simple and coordinated and easy, almost seems effortless way to approach. Of the jump, if you will, or the crop, you know, all 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 these things we want to align ourselves with nature and our surrounding society in a way that things become 
hey, how'd you do that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I did it. I just happened, you know, and you plant the seed and it things happen the right way because you did it at the right time, maybe something like that. But um, or um, as 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 we mentioned, the tree frequently, it's it must be watered every day it, um, until it reaches that point where it's a real fig tree that's dropping figs for everyone until it's unto itself it it needs attention every day um, so that um there's a, i forget what the name is in japanese and that's not necessarily important but there's a one minute practice one minute hobby idea in in japanese conceptuality if you if you practice something one minute a day for a year what would happen say it's a you know a, anything right you're you're gonna actually know a little bit something yeah. um instead of instead of saying okay i'm gonna commit to doing this two hours every three days a week here's my schedule if you just say okay i'll at least get one minute because once you start one minute, you know, and okay, and you know, your your practice develops from there. Um, if we just say one minute, we actually will do more um, than that. And even if we did only one minute, it would actually be quantifiable in the end. Instead of like forcing a rigid rigid approach, which you can always tell when someone's going to stop a practice. When you when you teach it to them and they say I'm gonna do this every day for an hour a day I'll see you I'll see you next week <laughs> <laughs> you know like you, when they say that all right yeah no they're not they're not gonna do it because they are setting themselves up for failure in that if you say I'm gonna do it a minute a day for sure and you then you can actually do it and more right so. It becomes kind of well. I failed. I didn't do it an hour, and now I forgot, and now I can't do it anymore. So forget it. Um, instead of I'll just I'll just do it in a minute a day and see what happens. Probably nothing will happen, and then and then actually a bunch of stuff does. I never thought of it. Yeah, it's just that that softness approach because. And we don't pretend to think of things that way in the West, do we? We're told by our teachers and our bosses and pretty much every factor around us, have, did you give it 100%? Are you sure you gave it 100%, Ethan? <laughs> um, and so, actually, can we just have seven, really, like a real 70% instead of having that rigidity of trying to employ 100%. I don't know. Did I? Can I? I don't know how to get to 100%. What is 100%? Will I break at 100%? <laughs> um, and and so um, uh, exploring things in a much more soft dynamic, um, pursuing the 70% much, much easier. And, and thus, in that Dallas kind of trick, much, much more gets done in that wu way sense it reminds me of that dallas saying um the dow is inactive but nothing is left undone that's it that's it 
yeah. something like that. <laughs> no, that, that's I think one. That's one of the translations. Anyway, that's right. That's right there. Yeah, the Tao does everything and does nothing, and yet nothing is undone. Yeah, yeah. But I guess it's also to get, if the Tao is doing everything, then everything's left undone. Well, it's because the Tao doesn't do, and that's what I was kind of saying before. Like we don't do Tai Chi, we don't know Tai Chi, mm -hmm. we practice it. Um, and a big uh, or another meditation in related to Tai Chi is contemplate being in alignment with Tao. And and you can take that how you want it. <laughs> You can run with that however my, uh, one can interpret it at the time, even, and philosophically or what have you. Um, but to pursue alignment with the Tao, for me, it just sounds so nice. You know, I, I just want to I just want to do that. Yeah. Um, so and uh, that that's a, a, you know, a meditation or or contemplation that we can employ. Just how can I how can I be in alignment with Tao? What is the Tao? What am I? It leads to all kinds of simple but profound. <laughs> I don't have those answers. <laughs> yeah, it leads to it leads to these questions that don't necessarily require an immediate answer or an answer at all. But just asking even what might be considered strange questions, at least it gets one away from otherwise pattern, right? Mm -hmm. it's like koan practice does a similar thing too totally and and many other um cultures the greeks would meditate on the axioms and the ideas or contemplate you know um and or you know you can find uh, mantra repetition of course has as sometimes a whole series of lessons behind the rep the what is being repeated you know um so yeah, there can't um, again to go back to compressed air and chi. Mm -hmm. We can't really develop compressed air and chi without repetition. So it it does take some repetition, whether whether it's a thought process or a physical process. So do you find like what you've learned about from the like the tetragrammaton? and the Tao to be pretty much the same things, just different traditions? You know what? I I don't, I, I try to check my projections, um, but yes. <laughs> In short, the, the Tetragrammaton, actually I'm working, the book that I'm working on right now, finishing, is called The Fourth Initiation. And it's coming out 4-4. Four, four of course and and i explore the tetragrammaton i don't think like anyone has explored before and yet in very simple terms um the reason why no one has explored such simple terms before is this word and the ideas related to it have been and still are a little bit ultra taboo right uh the tetragrammaton was not supposed to be spoken it was an ineffable word not only was it ineffable the, the unpronounceable name of god it, it's it's not only is it unpronounceable but you're not supposed to say it too that it's ineffable because of that too or was 
Um, and and that's why we don't really, even though we see partly why we, we see the the four letters in formation, um, but we don't know the exact pronunciation. Um, and also the Hebrews don't uh, explicitly use vowels. Um, so that's why another reason why that pronunciation is elusive. But but really it's ineffable because it was taboo. And many times in readings by Hebrews uh, um, where this Greek word for a Hebrew name uh, uh, comes from is biblical, uh, uh, the, the Bible and biblical books. But when they were reading from these writings, they wouldn't say that word. Right. So it was just silence. So but but the reason why no one's looked at this simple explanation before is because it's been so taboo. The simple explanation is. Let me compare it first. Uh, the, the, the tetragram aton is similar in word formation to pentagram. Tetragram is a four measure. Pentagram is a five measure. Now let's remove, talk about taboos. I think people are very familiar with the taboos of that word, pentagram, right? Um, but they're not the same, are they? Uh, tetragram aton. Mm -hmm. So what does the aton mean? Well, if we look at the relationship up into the English language, tetra, of course, means four. Gram means gram measure and uh, number. Um, and when, when we add the aton, it actually becomes like Asian. But we don't say gramation, really. We say grammar. And so tetragrammaton actually means for grammar which is kind of what I've been talking about all these years with the matrix of four and the geometry uh, uh, of meditation through the four dimensions. And so the word for God in the Bible, it literally means just literally and simply for grammar. And so uh, that, that alone, I think, is striking. Um, but if we look at it in relation to your question, um, how does it relate to the Tao? In fact, one could say that the Tao is entirely made up of what one could call for grammar. For the yin-yang, well, we call the yin-yang, um, it, and it's actually more specifically the Taiji symbol, is made up of not two components the yin and yang no 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 it's made up of four components minor yin major yin uh, uh, major yang minor yang right and the minor being the dots within the swirls um and so now taoist philosophy is not limited to this four grammar or this minor, 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 major yin and yang theory that's depicted in the what we know as the tight yin yang uh, symbol, um, but it's intrinsic. Um, uh, and and same thing with the presentation of the Bible. Um, it's not uh, for grammar. Is not 
necessarily the only thing going on in the esoteric lessons of the Bible or this naming of for grammar, but it's 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 an intrinsic thing, a, a base thing. Um, and 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 in fact, the the four from the Tetragrammaton goes to the forty of the Bible. All these all these measurements of forty in the Bible are also related to the Tetragrammaton for uh, 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 basically a four by ten ascension process or journey um, um, often depicted as a physical one but potentially an internal one um, and so that tetragrammaton this four grammar is uh, interesting way to perceive things it's not the only way but it is certainly powerful in just that relationship alone the the, the tetragrammaton the four grammar of the bible and the four grammar, if you will, of, of the Dallas. Did that also possibly represent like four grammar? Makes me think like was when we start labeling things. When we start labeling things, we start categorizing and we start judging. Well, you know, that's interesting because the Greeks um, of course that word is is from a Greek culture. It's a Hebrew word, but Greek name. And the Greeks learned their numerological uh, symbolism from the Egyptians, who uh, or, or via the Egyptians uh, um, and through Pythagoras. Um, and the Egyptian, uh, excuse me, the Greeks famously despised the number two because it has this element to what you point out: judgment and divisiveness. As soon as there is one, they didn't. They they liked one in the monad. They saw the dot, the oneness, as godliness. Um, but in a sense, as soon as you have one, then you have one and everything else, right? Not not that they're this, but um, with the two, that's kind of what happened. And so the Pythagoreans would famously spit whenever the number two was brought up because of its reference to divisiveness. Uh, three, they saw as being a perfect balanced number because you'd have the center and one on each side. And then you could have this perfect balance of a trinity. And the four, they saw as a godly consciousness and completion of the earthly and spiritual elements. Um, so I think um, four allows for contrasts and complements to find maybe what might arrange itself better in maybe that Wu Wei kind of philosophy or whatever is appropriate. Um, two does, I think, lead to that either or mentality that can be pretty limiting. Right. Um, and, and that's why I don't like that term for the yin yang um, symbol, because it's not really a dual dualistic symbol. It's it's it has that in its more overt sense, but in more subtle sense, it's a tertiary symbol. Uh, tetra symbol. That's a great connection. <laughs> 
Well, the Greeks, the Gre- I thank the Greeks. I can't take credit for it. <laughs> so, man, I want, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on with me today. Oh, thank you, as always. I'll, I'll have to do it again sometime. Absolutely. And um, where's the best place for my listeners to find you and find your books? I am all over social media, Twitter, Facebook. I got there's another one called Minds I have. I haven't gotten on other ones too much uh, at all. YouTube. I got a YouTube channel. I've been starting to do more YouTube things, and uh, my books are on Amazon. Pretty pretty easy to find via Ethan Indigo Smith on all those. Well, I'll put links in the notes of this episode so my listeners can find you. Cool. Thank you. And it's been a pleasure having you on. And yeah, no uh, doubt. have a great night. Yeah, that was a fun conversation. I appreciate everything. Awesome. Peace Thank on you. All right. Bye-bye. Peace.